A special invitation was extended to the humble shepherds living out in the fields. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, reads, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, the shepherds had an idea where to look, but how would they identify? How would they know their Savior when they saw him? The angel said, This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Christ Jesus, a little baby, would be snuggled with bands of fabric tightly, which was common practice in the first century. In addition, he would be lying in an animal's feeding trough. That would be the sign. The shepherds came, they saw, and they went. It says, glorifying God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now they looked for the sign given them, and it happened just as promised. And I wonder, are you looking for a sign today? And if so, did the sign come from God or his messengers? Or is your sign some sort of stipulation placed on God? I'm picking up today in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Verses 21 to 35, the word of God reads like this. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Look, or behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. The Bible is filled with signs. Literally, it means signals. Drawing our attention to something or someone in particular. For example, in Isaiah 7 verse 14, God promised the sign of the virgin who would conceive and bear a son called Emmanuel or God with us. The shepherds were given the sign of Messiah, swaddled and placed in a feeding trough. 
And here we see Jesus circumcised, which was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, signifying a special relationship with the God called Yahweh, or the, the I Am. It was required in the Law of Moses, chapter 12 in Leviticus, eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. Now, this is a sign that God knows what he's doing. Scientifically proven, newborn males' blood is most likely to clot on the eighth day after childbirth. The amount of prothrombin, right, this clotting agent in the blood, present in the blood is more than 100% normal. It's the only day on the eighth day, it's the only day in a male's life this will be possible. It reminds me during my first two years in the Navy, I worked in labor and delivery. And after the babies were born, we would give them, the baby boys, you know, vitamin K injections just prior to their circumcision because it would help with clotting the blood since they'd undergo circumcision in the first few days after birth. Love the Lord and how smart he is and his word, so reliable. Well, his name was called Jesus. Many boys and men were named Jesus in the first century. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yahshua, or Joshua, we might recognize it. In the Greek, it's Iesus. But what's significant are the supernatural signs surrounding this Jesus in particular. His name was prescribed by an angel, to Mary, a virgin, this is before she even conceived, <laughs> this is all miraculous, he was declared to be the Son of God, destined to reign as King and Savior over the house of David for a- forever. I mean, his name literally means Yahshua, Yah, or Yahweh is salvation, or I am salvation. Now that's a resume. <laughs> And it's not a resume every Joshua or Yeshua or Iesus had in the first century, nor today. And I think Mary and Joseph had to be losing their minds. I mean, they marveled at the things that they saw and heard for themselves. This is not the typical newlywed experience. The things happening in their lives didn't mean they were crazy. They were signs that God was doing something amazing. And yet they remained faithful to God. They made sure Jesus was circumcised. Later they're found in the temple offering customary sacrifices while presenting their son Jesus, as the Bible says, as the law of Moses says, they present him holy to the Lord. Many Jewish women hoped their sons would be the Messiah. And yet here is humble Mary and obedient Joseph, dedicating little Jesus of Nazareth. For the law of Moses, also in Leviticus chapter 12, they would have offered a lamb as a burnt offering, and then a turtle dove or a pigeon as sin offerings. If they couldn't afford a lamb, they could offer, as it says here in Luke, what they did offer, a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's what they did. And this is evidence, I think, that the wise men had not yet arrived because Mary and Joseph, I think, would have been able to afford a lamb using the gold brought by the Magi. And yet they offer up two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Notice here, though, 
how God perfectly orchestrated all of this because they may have been offering up a lamb to God. After all, we understand that Jesus is the lamb of God. This is a great lesson for us here. It was while Mary and Joseph were being obedient to God's word as faithful Jews in the temple of God, right there in God's house, that Simeon was able to see his Savior. It had been revealed him to him, it says in verses 25 to 28, been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The sign promised Simeon is that he would see the Messiah before he died. I mean, he literally saw God's salvation. He picked up God's salvation in his hands, it says, and he blessed him. What he witnessed was not an event, but a person. When he recognizes salvation, he sees salvation face to face. While Joseph and Mary were simply practicing their faith, acting out their religion, frequently in God's house, it was there in the temple where Simeon saw Jesus, and he just knew. Taking Jesus up in his arms, he blessed him. And then God said, Well, he blessed God, and then he said in verses 29 to 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Again, literally looking at Jesus, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon was so delighted to have seen God's salvation in the shape of a a little baby boy, probably just a little peanut at that point. A little baby boy whom God prepared for all peoples, not just Israel. Even the Gentiles or the nations would see it. In other words, the Messiah would change the world. And just like the shepherds, who praised God for all the things they had seen and heard, just as it was told them, even so Simeon could rest in peace because of everything that had happened just as God promised. Love the faithfulness of God's word. He will keep his promises. And I wonder, I wonder if Joseph and Mary were wondering, who is this guy? Who is this stranger handling my baby? Perhaps Simeon was a priest, and he was the one to facilitate that process of receiving the sacrifices and dedicating baby Jesus. But they marveled at those things which were spoken of him, and and this should encourage us. I think this should encourage us to know that, that Joseph and Mary, like most parents, were learning a lot on the go. They marveled at the things said of him. That said, it also goes to show that things don't always happen as we had hoped for our children. Listen to what Simeon says in verse 34. He says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Simeon sees the Christ for himself, a fulfillment of prophecy that was given to him. You will see the Christ before you die. And then he prophesies of Jesus' destiny. Specifically, his death, and his resurrection. Notice that he didn't say that Jesus was destined for the rise 
and fall of many in Israel. But Jesus was destined for the fall and rising. Those of us who believe in Jesus as Lord, and we believe in him as Christ, follow his lead. In other words, we have been baptized into his death. We've fallen down into that watery grave, and we've been resurrected with him. We were buried and raised to new life in Christ. We're born again. In fact, this word, the rise, where it says the rise, or the fall and rising, rather, the rising right there is uh, the Greek word anastasis, of the 42 times it's used in Scripture, 39 times is used specifically to, to describe the resurrection. It, it can be literally translated resurrected or lifted up. It's to stand up again. But 39 of the 42 times it's used in the New Testament, uh, it's used to, to describe the resurrection specifically. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is destined for the fall and rising, or the death and resurrection of many. Simeon says Jesus' fall and rising would be a sign which will be spoken against. The gospel, and the cross in particular, man, is offensive to those who want to stand before God in their own self-righteousness. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In fact, Simeon said in verse 35, This sign would pierce Mary's soul, and the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. The gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the sign that leads us to the moment of decision. It reveals and exposes our motives. Will we trust God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, or will we reject him and stand in our own self-righteousness? Even today, right, some are looking for a sign, some token or some signal of God's saving power. They really want to know if, if God is real. But God has given them the cross and the empty tomb. In fact, the next time the word translated for us, sign here, is used again, it's in Luke 11, verse 16, when Jesus casts out a demon and he heals a man, and then people ask for a sign. Still, show us a sign. How do we know? And then listen to what Jesus said in response in Luke 11, verses 29 to 30. He says, this is an evil generation. <laughs> it seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Listen, as Jonah was as good as dead in the belly of the fish for three days, until he was seen again alive and well, even so, Jesus' death three days in the tomb and following resurrection would be the only sign given to those who insist on a sign. The cross and the resurrection pierces our souls and reveals the thoughts in our hearts and the intent of our hearts before God. Simeon 
took baby Jesus in his arms. He blessed him and he prophesied of his destiny. And Luke says that this woman, Anna, came in. Let's pick up there in verse 36. All right, back to chapter 2, verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. So not only did Simeon, you know, as soon as he saw Jesus and he took his Lord up into his arms and sees salvation face to face and blesses him and prophesies of his destiny, Luke says Anna comes in, in that instant, specifically coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Powerful stuff, man. Anna walks in and her sign is literally one of opportunity. She was able to enjoy that opportunity because it was her custom to be in the temple worshiping and serving God. And I hope you're seeing a pattern here. It seems to me that those who want to see God and end up seeing him are those who are humble and lowly like the shepherds and those who are just and devout and waiting on God's promises like Simeon. Those who are consistent and committed to serving him like Anna are more likely to see Jesus. Do these qualities fit in your resume? I'm not saying that they earn salvation. I'm saying that it's evidential to me in the scripture that God shows himself specifically to those who want to see him, to those who are humble and lowly, just and devout and waiting for God's promises, consistent and committed to serving God, are more likely to see him than those who who aren't. Picking up in verse 39 to 40, When they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. So Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. When they had performed all these things, right, according to the law of the Lord, if anything can be said of Joseph and Mary, they were faithful to keep God's word. And while parents can provide the, the very best that we, they can, the very best that we can as parents for our kids, the truth of the matter is that children will decide for themselves what they will do and how they will respond, not only to us as parents, but to the Lord who is in hot pursuit. That said, with regard to Jesus, what kind of person was he? Verse 40, it says, the child grew. So Jesus grew, and he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. If Jesus had to grow and become strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, how can we expect otherwise? Physical, emotional, spiritual growth 
is a process. It's not overnight. And the Lord in all of his divinity played out perfectly in his humanity, developed and grew physically, emotionally, spiritually. And overall, we need what Jesus modeled for us, what he received himself. The grace of God was upon him. We need God's grace upon us. There's no other way, man. More of God's grace. As I look through Scripture, there's three questions I like to ask myself. What can I learn about God from this passage? What can I learn about myself? What does God want me to do in response? So let's go through that here. I have a few things for you to think about. What can we learn about God from this passage here? I think God wants to reveal himself to us, specifically his son Jesus to us. I think that God is inclined to reveal himself first to those who are humble and lowly like the shepherds. He wants to re- reveal himself to, to those who are just and devout and waiting on God's promises like Simeon. And to those who are consistent and committed to serving him like Hannah. I think we can learn from this passage that God himself is humble and lowly, coming in the likeness of mankind, born under meager conditions. And he was fine with that. He ordained that. He predestined that. He orchestrated that, all of that perfectly. And I think that we can see from this passage what we can learn is that God keeps his promises. And not only does he keep his promises, but he's pleased to convince us. So, second question, what can we learn about ourselves? I wonder what you are learning about yourself from this passage. I I will speak personally. Personally, what I learn about myself from this passage is that sometimes I'm inclined to look for signs of my own imagination instead of trusting him instead of trusting the signs that he's already provided, specifically in his word. Sometimes I'm not humble and lowly, but I'm proud and insecure, and I'm not waiting on God's promises. I'm inconsistent. One of the things I learn about myself, though, is that sometimes I get to be a blessing to somebody (laughs) because I am being faithful to God. I am, when I am walking in obedience and I am walking with the Lord, it turns out I get to be a blessing to somebody. These are the things I, at least some of the things that I've learned about myself. What are you learning about yourself from this passage? The third question that's good to ask when reading through scriptures, you know, what does God want us to do? What does he want us to do in response to this? I think he wants us to be faithful, humble, lowly, yet confident in what and whom we know to be true. God wants us to rejoice when we see things happen, just as foretold. He wants us to tell others about the redemption and the the consolation in Christ, the comfort in Christ. He wants us to know the gospel and the cross will be offensive to many. It's okay. People will be offended. We need to know 
that that's, that that's likely to happen. But we preach the gospel, and we know that it will be offensive. And finally, I think God wants us to grow, man. He wants us to grow and become strong in the Spirit, filled with wisdom, having the grace of God upon us. Almighty God, I pray, Lord, that you will just help us to see the signs that you have provided us. And that you will help us to see, Lord, that we need you. We need salvation. You are our salvation, Lord Jesus. More than reform or behavior modification, we literally need saving transformation salvation in us lord may we be genuinely changed lord change us with an everlasting change from the inside out by encountering the lord jesus christ may we be humbled by the realization lord that you the creator of the universe that you want to reveal yourself to us and may we be entirely confident lord that you are the only one who can truly satisfy that longing we have in our hearts for the consolation and the redemption that we've been hoping for all along. Amen. Blessings to you, my friends. Thanks always for listening. Remember to let God be true and every man a liar. Go back and read these passages for yourself and find out. Be a good Berean. Find out these things I'm sharing with you are true or not. God bless you and be with you. Merry Christmas.